You are listening to the Model Train Talk podcast. Each episode, RJ and I discuss various topics about the world's greatest hobby, model trains. The purpose of this podcast is to help promote, inspire, and bring a breath of fresh air to the hobby. Recording the podcast makes it possible to share stories of others and to help grow the model train community. Thank you for listening to the Model Train Talk podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Model Train Talk podcast, and I'm here with Ravenhawk6910. How are you doing today? Ah, I am alive. I am vertical. I am breathing. I like That trains. is always a good thing. That is a good <laughs> thing. And today we're here to talk about trains, and we're here to talk about your story in particular. So I want to um, get the questions rolling real quick. Um, first question, how did you get into the hobby? Well, like a lot of people... Um, kids growing up in the early to mid nineties. Um, the thing that started it with me primarily was a combination of Thomas, the tank engine, of course. And, you know, seeing, I can't remember the name of the company that made, uh, I love toy trains, but, uh, TM they had a books. TM books. Thank you. And seeing a lot of their tapes, not necessarily, I love toy trains, but some of their other spinoff tapes as well. And also, my mom would take me down to the Amtrak station to watch Amtrak come in um, every night. One, because she knew I liked trains. And two, because it was quite literally cheap entertainment. You know, you could go down there, sit down, talk to the station agent, talk to the train master. And back then, you know, it was pre-9-11, so everyone was cool. You know, no one really cared all that much. And you could just sit trackside and watch it. And course in those days you know Amtrak the P42s and the Genesis units they were brand new there were still some F40s around you had Mail and Express baggage and box cars in the consist you still had heritage coaches um, and the view liners of course were new at that time so sort of a transitional period if you will an interesting time to to be an Amtrak fan and of course, the Phase 3 paint scheme was still around, but you also had Phase 4 and then Phase 5 as well coming in around that same time. And, yeah, I think that that that's that was definitely dumping fuel on the fire in terms of that. Plus, also, when I was uh, one or two, maybe, I was a wee little lad, but uh, they did the uh, – Norfolk Southern did the took part in the uh, 1994 – National Railway Historical Society convention that was being held in Atlanta, Georgia that year. And that was going to be the last time that NNW 611 came through my hometown. So my mom took me down to the station that day to see 611 come through for the last time. They were doing an Atlanta to Lula, Georgia and return trip with 611. So that was my first exposure to big mainline steam as well during that time frame. So I often think that I was born maybe 10 or 15 years too late, you know, cause I missed out on the steam programs and such and all the really cool stuff from the seventies and early eighties. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and then growing up after the BNSF merger, that was a fun time as well. Cause you got to see a mixture of everything and the experimental paint schemes that BNSF came oh. up with over the years. Um, and then, of course, Union Pacific acquiring Chicago Northwestern and Southern Pacific around that same time. So you had those roads mixed in, which made it for even more interesting with run-through power. 
So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's sort of a a more compacted version of what actually did it for me. But I guess on a scientific term, if you will, um, and this is not something I typically talk about in my videos, but um, I have Asperger's syndrome. So it's a form of autism. And according to what the doctor that diagnosed me said, liking trains is actually very common for people with autism and Asperger's because it's a very orderly thing. A train is, it, there's order to it. It is a straight line. Everything goes in a certain place. Like I would have some of my Thomas stuff laid out on the table there and he would intentionally pick something up and move it to another spot only for me to pick it up and put it back in that exact same spot every single time. And to this day, I still, you know, I'll find myself running the same consists in the same order all the time and very rarely mixing them up, you know, maybe not so much as not so badly as I used to, but certainly I did that a lot as a younger kid getting into this hobby as well. And then my first actual electric train was my uncle's American flyer train that he had in the uh, early 60s. And that was the, uh, it was just a standard starter set. It was the one with the Redding uh, 442 Atlantic. Uh, I actually still have that set, actually. And then my mom got me into, you know, the wooden trains growing up. And then I went to N-Scale and then HO and then now O-Scale. So I've dabbled in a little bit of everything in terms of scales. So so you started big with the big rail fanning and the real trains, and then you went all the way down the end scale and then worked your way back up. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> Someday I will own my own piece of rolling stock. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> you know, Frank Sinatra, what he did was is that he built himself a caboose in his backyard to put all his trains in. Hey, so there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> all right, so as a fellow Amtrak fan myself, what is your favorite Amtrak paint scheme? You know, phase. What's your favorite phase? Well, if we're going just by the phases, um, I would say for as delivered, the phase three P42s were awesome. In fact, I'll grab this here real quick. This is an in-scale brass P42 that I, st that I have. And yeah, I mean... And I'm sure everyone's watched There Goes a Train at some point in their life, and these were featured quite heavily in that because they were new at the time. Now, granted, that was a P40. This is a P42, but you get the concept. So, But I've also been really partial to Phase 4 as well because that was coming in around the same time. And Phase 4 just looked real interesting on some of the locomotives, in particular the uh, AEM-7s. And the uh, <clears throat> the P thirty two dash eights, you know the 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 Pepsi can repaints. And honestly, while I liked that paint scheme on the dash eights, the Phase Four just looked better. It looked cleaner. It just seemed to fit those engines a lot better. And Phase Five is cool. I like it. I like it on the P forty twos and the other Genesis units, but. On other things, it's kind of plain. You know, there's not, it's more box like than anything else. And that goes for the Dash 8s, the Switchers, the Jeeps, anything that has that paint scheme. You know, it looks more squared off, whereas on the P42s, 
they have that wave to it that's similar to the design on the Acellas. So, but if we're talking special Amtrak paint schemes, now we get into a different territory. Because the first one of those that I encountered was this, actually. The Celebrate the Century Express, which was the promotional train that Amtrak did with the U.S. Postal Service at the uh, turn of the 21st century. And I actually got to see this train in person. Uh, it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was like the 97th or 98th stop on the tour. So uh, it was this, a baggage car, a Amfleet coach, all in this paint scheme. Then there was a Southern Railway um, railway post office car from the North Carolina Transportation Museum. And then some form of a private car on the rear. It, it, they would alternate. Sometimes it was the Georgia 300. Sometimes it was the Chesapeake and Ohio Chapel Hill. You know, they used various ones throughout the length of the tour. So this was my first encounter with one. And it's always been a favorite of mine because of all the different designs on it. And I still have a lot of uh, memorabilia from that tour that was framed up by my mom. But I also have a real partial thing for the phase one heritage locomotive as well. That has a lot of personal meaning to myself, 156. Uh, the veterans units, all of them, all four of them are pretty cool. Um, I, I especially liked 9208, even though it's not around anymore. 9221 is a good stand-in, but 208 was out on the surf line. I love the surf line. That's probably my favorite part of Amtrak as a whole. So I just liked it that they had an F40, an old F40 repainted up in that scheme for use on the surf line. So, so I'm doing a cross-country Amtrak trip the summer you suggest that i do the surf liner while i have a stop in la very much so if in fact i recommend you actually go down to san diego and do the entire route from san diego to mm -hmm. san luis obispo and back because it's very much possible to do that in a day i myself have not done it yet but i want to really bad <laughs> and it's kind of sad i've been out to california three times and I still have yet to ride on the surf line. I really need to fix that. But yeah, I have yet to ride an Amtrak train. And hopefully um, when I go visit RJ this summer, I can do that. I think that'd be pretty cool to uh, take, uh, you know, travel by train again back like it used to be. But now we take cars and airplanes and you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And, you know... The one time I did ride Amtrak, unfortunately, it kind of left a sour taste in my mouth because I rode the Crescent between Gainesville, Georgia and Birmingham, Alabama and back in 2016. You, could actually, you can actually do that as a day trip. But a lot of the crews on there weren't very friendly, um, at least on the Greenville District side of it. The you know, the Atlanta to Washington segment, you know, a lot of the crews on there were not very friendly. Once you got past them, once the crew change happened in Atlanta, that changed and they were a little bit better, but you know, some of the conductors on there just were not very nice, especially when they found out I was a rail fan. So I'm hoping to do another trip sooner or later on a different route that will hopefully change that opinion. Well, hopefully that uh, Nashville to Atlanta route comes to, uh, comes to fruition sooner rather than later for you. I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> you 
you know, and that's simply because I know the politics over at CSX, you know, they, they don't want to deal with a passenger train in the midst of that as well. Even with traffic declining because of PSR, they just don't want to deal with another passenger train through there. You know, I mean, look how they treated the sunset limited back in the day when it ran all the way into Orlando, you know, as if, if I may quote Danny Harmon, you know, CSX treated it like a freight train and a low priority one at that. It was the redheaded stepchild of the pan of, of the panhandle. So, you know, would it be nice? Sure. I think it would be great as far as convenience, you know, cause Nashville and Atlanta, there's not really that much of a distance between the two, relatively speaking, but the practicality of it and, you know, agreeing through CSX and dispatching. I don't know. We'll just have to see, you know, I hate to sound like a downer, but you know, you have to be, you have to think realistically when it comes to these as well. So otherwise you get your hopes up for nothing. All right. So I'm sure we've bored our model rail, fa- uh, our model railroading community <laughs> a lot with that rail fanning segment. So we'll, we'll slide back into the modeling side. And you've recently started work on constructing your layout. So do you want to give us like a little bit of a preview or, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're hoping to get accomplished in 2021 on your layout? I know you recently did a video on it, but there's been any changes. Well, there hasn't been any change in the immediate time since that video. And I'll be honest, you know, I moved into this house probably about five years ago now. Um, and it's been very slow progress for two reasons. And, and it's both my fault. You know, one is that I love buying trains. All you need is one more train. <laughs> exactly. But you keep buying more trains and eventually it's like, oh, I have nowhere to run this. <laughs> so, and also there, the layout has had its plans revised several times over the years. Like at one point I wanted to do um, three levels in here actually. And I had to cut it down to two levels and really just have one that goes all the way around the room and one that just goes around three quarters of the room. The original layout plan was going to have two levels that went all the way around the room. The bottom loop was going to be 072 and the upper loop was going to be 048. And then there was going to be a lower level right where I'm sitting right now that was going to be on just a little table and it was going to house an 036 loop that was mostly encased in a mountain. And that was going to be, you know, there was going to be a tunnel on one side and a tunnel on the other side. So the train would come out and then I'd have a section of pullout scenery that I could just remove if, you know, I needed to work in there or whatever. And there would just be a slope built up to this main section right here. But, you know, I had to scrap that idea fairly early on and then work just kind of stalled after a certain point. And I've dealt with a lot of personal issues over the years as well that have put a stop to things. But finally, you know, over the course of the last, I would say, three years at this point, I've slowly started getting the layout to the point where I wanted to do. And I finally got one of these sections of Miani customizable bench work installed in 2018, I want to say. And I still need to get another section that's going to go on this side of the room 
to get the full loop that goes all the way around. So, and you know, it was also an issue of trying to find bridges that would work as well. Cause as I'm sure you've seen in some of my videos, the layout crosses a segment in front of a doorway and the bridges that I've had before, I had a couple of Lionel girder bridges that bridge the gap pretty well. The problem is, is that they bow in the center because they connect right in the center here and they just couldn't support the weight of heavy trains, mainly heavy steam locomotives by themselves. So I had to look into custom bridges and I actually found a, a guy on YouTube, that, um, YouTube, eBay that makes custom wood bridges. And that's where I got my first single track bridge. And eventually I bought a double track bridge from him as well that I'm going to use for the upper level. As for the upper level, I've cut it down to three quarters of the room and that's going to be mainly for industry switching. So, um, each, uh, the main curves are going to be 048 with 036 switches on either side of the room. This section right here actually has a MPC era grain elevator up at the end. And I've had that for several years now with the intention of putting that on the layout. The other side of the room is going to be like a <clears throat> warehouse district. And uh, as well as a oil refinery in one section for the Lionel GATX tank train. Um, I've got quite a few cars from that. And I've wanted to do something with that as well. You know, maybe not necessarily have it 3D because obviously it's up against a wall. You can't really do much with that. But certainly a backdrop with some custom made like, you know, piping things to come down to the tank cars and such. Just to you know, make it look, to sell the look a little bit more that yes, this is indeed an oil refinery. And then the main table here, <clears throat> I should mention that pretty much everything in this room is on shelves. Um, the only thing that's not is this table here and then the other table that'll go down on this far end. The table sections, I've wanted to have some form of a yard. Um, I've started focusing now on doing it as more like a static display yard instead of an active yard, simply to save a little bit of money because O-gauge switches are rather pricey. And so I can get probably four tracks on here as well. In fact, I've already got two tracks here already put in that I talked about in my last update video. And uh, once the table's done, I'll expand that all the way down the room. So I'll be able to put four tracks that can house quite a bit of equipment. And that way I can leave a lot of my trains out instead of keeping them in the boxes all the time. And then the main line is an 072 loop that goes all the way around the room. The rooms, the room itself is about seven feet wide by 16 feet long. So it's a decent sized room and you can do a lot in it, even with O gauge, it certainly would be better suited for HO or N, but that's just what I'm doing. And I've got a few buildings on the layout as well, like I have over here. Uh, I have the custom run Legacy Station building but with the Eric's Trains billboard. Legacy Station's where I go to a lot to buy a lot of my stuff as well. I've got a Rock City barn and a little farm scene over here uh, behind where the camera is. And uh, just a few other little you know odds and ends here and there. But hopefully starting this year, I've already put ground cover on this main table and I've got the material ready to put it on the rest of the shelves. I just need to get around to doing that. So first priority is going to be laying the ground cover down. 
this year and get that around to all the shelves on the lower level. The upper level, I'll work on that once I get the correct shelves in because originally this room just had um, some shelves put in that had a whole bunch of books on it. So I'm using the original wall standards and just replacing the shelves with new oak boards like this and removing those old particle boards that were the bookshelves. And this is a very long winded <laughs> thing here. And, uh, but, uh, but you know, you know, you wanted the details. <laughs> I, I did ask. So, but you know, with everything, time and money is the biggest concern. And with me doing product reviews as of late, you know, I've had a lot of fun doing those and getting a lot of trains that I've wanted to have for a very long time. And, you know, also doing stuff with K&R Custom Models. You know, they sent me a few things as well to review. So, you know, and also I've done stuff at Legacy Station reviewing stuff on their layout to kind of help them sell it. I feel like when I first started doing stuff, getting big with the product reviews, especially last year, last year I did about 16 of them, but I did three of them at Legacy Station that were just stuff that they were selling. And I did that to kind of help Legacy Station out during the coronavirus pandemic to show people, hey, this is a cool piece that this store has for sale. Go and get it and support your local hobby shops. So that was the intention of that. It wasn't exactly a sponsored video or anything like that because they never asked me to do it. I just did it myself. You know, I would be at the store with my camera and I'd just ask the owner, hey, uh, can I film a review of that? And they'd go, sure, why not? And, you know, and they're smart. They understand the internet and, you know, how exposure can help out with that. So, because Eric Siegel does that all the time with his videos. And so I've done a little bit with my channel as well and other people have as well. So it works out for both of us. Makes you wonder how much business Legacy Station has gotten just from being shown off in Eric's videos. A lot, I'm sure. Yeah. And... And, you know, to that, I say more power to them because... Yeah, they worked the system. They got it. That's fantastic, you know. And I think that's been the death of a lot of hobby shops over the years is they weren't ready to evolve with the digital era. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't ready to do... This. They may have done like the OGR forum and stuff, but the OGR forum is a very niche side of the hobby. You know, not everybody wants to get onto a online forum or a chat room, they would much rather have a video presentation to watch on YouTube or in a Facebook group or whatever that's a lot more interactive and more easier to access, you know, than having a separate website to go to just to talk about your trains. You know, you know, I can go to a Facebook group that I'm already on Facebook or Instagram or whichever and talk about it that way. So I think that has really changed the hobby in a sense. And some stores have been really good at adapting to it. Others, not so much, but obviously the pandemic has changed everything in terms of that. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I definitely think social media has played a big part in the model train hobby. And you said that you helped film reviews and stuff like that. And all three of us have YouTube channels. Uh, both of you are in the thousands of subscribers and Shocker. I just hit 500 as hey, today. there you go. But yeah, 
So do you kind of want to talk about how you got started with YouTube and trains as well and where that interest came from? Well, first of all, I took broadcast journalism in high school. So that was the initial start as far as the videos go. And I also did an internship at a television station my senior year. So video production and editing has always interested me. And one of the first channels I remember watching was Distant Signal Productions, Danny Harmon's channel. And I love his channel. I still love his channel today. He makes some of the most professional yeah. rail fanning videos out there. And I wanted to do stuff like Danny. And so, but, you know, my, my mom and I were never the richest family on the streets. We had to work with what we had a lot of the times. And as a lot of my older YouTube videos show, uh, the quality of the videos just was not there. You know, I tried and I had ambitions of doing great videos with narration like Danny did, but ultimately I didn't have the technology that I do now. I was very much late to the party in a lot of, in a lot of cases because I simply just didn't have the money. And thankfully I'm in a decent stable job now and I can afford the technology a little bit better. So sure, it's not top quality. You're not going to see 4K videos from me probably anytime soon because I can't, I can't justify blowing thousands and thousands of dollars on a camera. Then again, I can blow it on thousands of dollars worth of trains. Oh, trains will take you much it. further. You, you yeah. know, it's like, trains what, what, what am I going to get more enjoyment out of in the end? The trains. Definitely the trains. So You're going to be so frustrated you know, with the, the camera. But you know, yeah, and and you know, like I'll pull this one up here. I actually have a little Canon. Uh, this is a Canon Rebel T2i that I got from okay. a buddy of mine. Okay, and it does good videos. I like it for videos, and it's really good for still photography as well. But it's it's manually focused. You know, you have to set it up beforehand, and you know, I'm. I'm not the best when it comes to stuff like that. So my primary camera is this Panasonic HC V180 camcorder. Okay. And I have this a... one I actually... Oh, go ahead. Finish. Go, go ahead, ahead Sam. Finish. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. What'd you say? I was yeah. just going to say that, um, you know, I've been kind of late to the party with technology as well. When I started my YouTube channel, I started with an iPhone. And just this Christmas, I got a camcorder as well. So I am very excited. I use an iPhone. Use what are you trying to say, Sam? I'm not. I'm not trying to say anything. I'm, I'm all I'm saying, all I'm, all I'm saying is that with the cam droid, droid, droid. <laughs> and all I'll I'm be... saying is, is that I'm able to get better angles with a tripod, and I, uh, I, I can zoom in more. I mean, there's just so much more different ways to capture the layout with a camcorder than with the, the iPhone. The, pr the problem with a cell phone is that they they run on digital zoom and digital zoom is pretty much no zoom. So, yeah. you know, like the, the newer phones are certainly a lot better than what they were when I was filming on a phone back in the day. Mm -hmm. Right, right. But, and the, and the quality is certainly a heck of a lot better. And iPhones have simply been ahead of the game as far as cameras since the beginning. I'm not going to argue that point at all. But nothing can replace an actual camera. And this one has served me well. 
I got it 2019, I believe. I got it at Target. And uh, I got it because my other camera was starting to act a bit screwy in terms of the microphone. Like, what would happen is the, the microphone would distort um, once it got close to, to a loud object like a train. The other camera I had beforehand was a Fuji S4400. And, oh, boy... That one did okay photos, but videos, it was terrible. Because it would you would get it near anything with a horn, and it would instantly distort horribly. In fact, there's a few of my older rail fanning videos that you can hear it distorting, and it is so bad. But, you know, what can you do? But as far as shooting models, you know, and rail fanning as well, I like this camera mainly because it has a 90 time optical zoom. You can zoom in real far with this camera and capture up close details. So that's been my main camera pretty much last year going into two now. Yeah. I'm just very excited to use my camcorder. I experimented with it. I, I used it on the 2020 Christmas train haul video that I used and I got some really cool sh up close shots. I do like the zoom. I can't do that on the iPhone. I can't do that on the phone at all. It's very frustrating. And I used a really cheap music stand and an iPhone holder to fill my videos up until now. So yeah, but the iPhone served me well, but it is time to improve the, uh, the quality of my videos a little bit. So. And you know, once you start getting that subscriber base built up, you kind of feel the need to, increase the quality a little bit. Like when I, right, right. One of my f most successful videos on my channel is my video of NW 611 from Asheville, North Carolina in 2016. That video has like 16,000 views on it. It's insane really. So, and once I hit the 500 mark, you know, that camera I was using at the time was my old one and the quality was still good at the time. Um, but the thing that I learned was frequency of posting is the yeah. key is one of the keys to making a successful channel. Does. Yeah. So I learned it's like, okay, I need to start posting more frequently. I need to be a more active YouTuber. I need to actually reply to comments, get to know my community a little bit better, find out what they want. Cause eventually that's how I learned, Oh, Hey, we, the rail fanning videos aren't doing so well, but the modeling videos are. So I guess I need to focus more on models than rail fanning. I still film trains out in the real world all the time, but my subscribers have set, have kind of silently said, you know, we don't want this all the time. We want this. So, and that's perfectly fine, but you know, I've always loved the prototype and I still do the rail fanning videos. If nothing else yeah. for, for me, yep. but the no, model, I but the model videos have proven to be the most successful but what were you going to say, RJ? No, I know exactly where you're coming from. I mean, I'll upload a modeling video on Tuesday and it'll get a thousand views in 24 hours. And I'll upload a rail fanning video a couple of days later and it, it'll barely break a hundred views a few months later. Right. That, that's also part of like the way the YouTube algorithm works. You know, they don't necessarily love when you put out different types of videos. But, you know, when I tell people, when people ask me, like, how do I get more followers? How do I get more views? You, you have to post frequently. Um, you know, that's part of this whole YouTube algorithm game. 
So for me personally, uh, you know, I go back to school down in DC um, a week after we record this. And so what I've been doing for the last three weeks is I've been recording videos. So I can upload two modeling videos a week through the beginning of May when I get back home from school. So you guys can do the math on how many videos that is. Um, Too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit more than halfway done, and I've got a week left on top of school starting next week and working 20 hours a week. So I've certainly dug a hole for myself by relaxing now. But um, if you want the followers, if you want the success, um, which I've been – very thankful to have gotten over the past year. That's what you got to do. You got to, you got to put in the work to reap the benefits. Exactly. And you know, the thing that I started doing around 2017 was I tried to post, I've made a quota for myself post one video every week. And I still try to do that. And during that time frame, I pumped out a lot of content. There was one time I was posting four videos a week. I mean, it was kind of yeah. crazy, but you know, it, it, it worked, you know, I hit a thousand subscribers in 2018 last year. I hit 2000 and now I'm up to 2,400. So, you know, they obviously like trains and they've <laughs> been very generous enough to check out my content, which I've always done YouTube for me. I know it's not going to be something I make money off of. And certainly if I was making money off of a model train YouTube channel of just basically a blog of my model train journey, whatever you want to call it, I know well and good that that is frowned upon by a lot of people in this hobby, you know, because people are jealous, you know, it's not the right thing for them to do, but they, but they do get jealous and, that can lead to a lot of things. So I do it for fun first and foremost. And if other people happen to like it, that's fantastic. You know, cause that means it's not something futile. I'm not wasting my time doing this. Cause to me, YouTube is a extension of my model railroading hobby. It's just a supplementary thing to my main hobby. You know, I don't have to do it but I do because I like it and it's fun. And obviously a lot of other people now seem to think that's the case as well. So, and you know, also for me with YouTube and this is kind of getting into some personal stuff, but I have always struggled with anxiety and depression and YouTube has been my way of expressing my hobbies to other people because I was never that popular kid in school. I was always bullied because I liked trains. Even as an adult, people nag at me because I like trains, but you know, I've always never really had an outlet. It's just been me, myself and I most of the time, one man band and YouTube has really been great to help me get out there and be socially active, not be that little hermit that never comes out from under his rock, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I've learned, I've learned more about public speaking, standing in front of a camera or, you know, 
in, on the computer in this capacity doing the podcast that I ever learned in any of my classes where we had a public speak, you know. The, well, but, they say infield experience is the best way to yeah. learn, you know. Who said it had to be in a job? I'm still trying to get the hang of it, but I, yeah, speaking in front of a camera, especially um, learning how social media works and, you know, schools obviously talk about like social media etiquette, but you really don't know until you actually have your own YouTube channel and you actually have an audience. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And it's a lot of pressure sometimes to do because, <laughs> you know, I try to behave when I'm on YouTube. You know, I am a very wild, wacky individual, and I have no filter a lot of times. You know, I will cuss like a sailor. I'll do super random, super chaotic things, you know. And I let a little bit of that onto YouTube here, here and every now and then. But if I was to go all out, I would be put in the nut house because of how weird it would be. <laughs> yeah, it's good to show, you know, people your true personality. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. You know, and those who do know me well, you know, yes, I'm crazy, but I'm not clinically insane, you know, <laughs> but yeah. You know, you have to have fun. And it, one thing I've learned a long time ago is if you can't laugh at your own demons, yeah. you have no business laughing at other people's. Right. If you can't if make you, fun of yeah. yourself, you, you know, what's the point? Yep. Yeah. What's the expression if you uh, don't pick a fight if you can't take it or something like that? Exactly. Don't throw a punch exactly. if you can't take it or something like that. Yeah. It's precisely. It's a rule of life. So you've been picking up a lot of older models recently. Is what's what's like that one holy grail item that you hope to find and pick up one day? Hmm. Really putting you on the spot here. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't know actually, because I've been quite fortunate to find a lot of models that I've been searching for for a while. Uh, you know, the Tennessean was one that I wanted for a number oh, of years. You, if you can ever find one, get it. Uh, the Scale 4501, I've had that for a number of years now. I know you have that as well, RJ. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, where is it at? This side. <laughs> the Pennsylvania S1, you know, that I got fairly recently, even though it does need some work. Beautiful locomotive. Uh, oh, gosh. But as far as ones that I don't have, I don't know if there's a holy grail per se. However, some models that I would really love to have, um, one would be like a third rail uh, Sunset Models Canadian Pacific Selkirk, the streamlined version. Um, I do really like those. Uh, what else? Probably... Oh, gosh, this really is a tough one. Wow. <laughs> I don't have any Amtrak Pacific Surfliner coaches except for the two premier ones that I have, so I would like to get some more Surfliner cars. I'd like to get another F-59 PHI as well because the one I've got, it's it's good, but it's been run into the ground quite literally. Um, 
<clears throat> I would say, yeah, I mean, the Canadian Pacific Selkirk, some Surfliner cars, maybe, in well, N&W 1218. You know, 1218's big favorite of mine. Um, but as far as like a Holy Grail, I guess, I didn't order the Lionel Southern Railway 2716 Berkshire when it was offered a few years ago. Yeah. Because during that time frame, I was having a lot of quality problems with Lionel engines. Mm-hmm. So I just, I had ordered it, but then I canceled it. So, but then that model turned out to be pretty good. So I think it would be cool to have the 2716 there was a while there that I wanted models of every single steam locomotive that was in the Southern and Norfolk Southern steam excursion programs. And that's a lot of engines. Yeah. So, and I've got a, a bunch of them already, but I don't have the harder to find ones. You know, I don't have 2716. I don't have LNN 152. Um, Canadian Pacific 2839, technically I have it now, although it's a pre-production sample from MTH, and I'm probably going to keep it that way. Um, what else? Allegheny, Allegheny Central 1278, um, Texas and Pacific 610, that's a huge one, as well as SP 4449 in the daylight, not daylight, American Freedom Train paint scheme. Southern Railway 722 in the Crescent Green, that 4501 war. That's a That one would have to almost certainly be a custom job. So, yeah, that's, I guess you could say that's been my holy grail, to have all of those various engines from the Southern Railway steam excursion program. So whether or not that will ever actually happen, I think, depends on money and timing. So there you go. The two biggest factors in this hobby. Exactly. Time and money. <laughs> time and money. At time. Some people say time is money. So, but what? Well, if if don't hug, if don't hug me, I'm scared. Taught me anything? It's time is a tool that you wear on the wall and wear it on your wrist. And I do have one more question for you. Do you have any advice to any of the viewers today? on like the hobby youtube anything of the sorts don't run with scissors <laughs> that is a that, that, that is a good tip you could earn yourself a trip to the hospital. <laughs> no but in all seriousness um don't feel like you have to rush it you know don't feel like you have to finish a layout immediately you know because Plans can change. Life can change. Life can throw you curveballs all the time. Don't feel like you have to finish your layout immediately and have scenery up right away. Sure, you need to do it if you want the completed look, but don't feel like you need to break your back and break your wallet to do it. You know, do it at your own pace. Get down to the important stuff, which is running the trains and enjoying the middle therapy that is running trains before you worry about anything else. Even if it's just a loop on your living room floor, do it. So that's probably the best advice I can give people. I mean, I started out with a loop under my bed and uh, on the floor around the Christmas tree. It's usually where it all starts and it just grows from there. So some great advice there. 
All right. Um, that has been another episode of the Model Train Talk podcast. And thank you again, Sterling, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Perfect. And I will, we will all, we'll see you in the next podcast episode.